<clears throat> last week, um, we kind of had a, had a had, I don't know, a fun, uh, fun part of, uh, you know, the history of, of the church. And that's really what we're going through when we go talk about Acts. It's like, how is God building his church? And early in chapter 1, Jesus said, I want, to, um, I want you to go be my witnesses. Again, right at the beginning of Acts, Jesus is still around. He hasn't quite left to go to heaven. And uh, he says, I want you to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and then to all the ends of the, and the earth. And we see that part of going to Judea and Samaria last week and even to, uh, to part of Africa. And as I was kind of, uh, you know, I mentioned, sometimes when I, you know, you probably notice this, sometimes when I teach, there are things that like kind of I don't plan for and they just kind of like come to my mind. And one of those was... Um, uh, a, I remember when I taught a world history class, there was a missionary, or a man that was a, um, uh, he was, I guess, a, a boy that was on a, a trading ship that had um, either had been captured on the coast of Africa uh, outside Ethiopia, and uh, they were taken as slaves. I think his name was Fermentus. And um, anyway, I, I, I kind of kind of brought that back to mind when I, we were talking about Ethiopia, and so I like went back and looked at at that account and. Uh, so he was he was captured. He was brought into the royal family because he was he was uh, you know not from around there. Uh, but they had captured him, and he was a Christian and had shared the gospel with the king. And the the country ended up becoming a kind of a Christian nation in that area. And it became a stronghold that even when Islam started popping up in the 700s, um, that it spread all over North Africa and along the coast of, of East Africa. But there was a pocket of Christianity that kind of withstood that in Ethiopia. And some would say that, that there's only a few kind of Christian uh, traditions that have withstood that you know, spread of Islam. Some is the, the Coptic religion in, in Egypt, and uh, another would be the Ethiopian. And so you kind of even see, like, you know, how God, for some reason, wants, you know, this group, this area to be um, his. You know, bizarrely, that he sends Philip, I want you to go talk to this guy who's this uh, royal emissary who's worshiping in Jerusalem, and he happens to be reading Isaiah 53, and I just want you to go talk to him. And, uh, you know, Philip takes over and, you know, ends up preaching the gospel and the guy gets saved and then they vanish, right? They go their separate ways. Um, and, you know, as far as we know, he was saved. What influence he had, we're not exactly sure. But, you know, a couple hundred years later, something else happens. And so we see some of that, um, that for some reason, you know, God has that area uh, of the world um, kind of under his, his radar and his spotlight. So it's interesting how you see those kind of things repeat uh, even, even in history. But we see that, uh, that um, influence of how God is you know, using this guy, Philip. We, you know, who was Philip? He was just a guy that was just being faithful to the word. He asked to take care of this dispute. He flees because of persecution. He makes his way into Samaria, preaches the gospel, and then now the Samaritans are saved. And then he's asked to go down and preach down in uh, this guy who's heading down to Africa and uh, preaches to him. And then we don't hear about Philip anymore. We'll, we'll actually take towards the end of Acts before we'll see Philip again. And so here we are in chapter 9. Um, we're going to be brought back to another character. And this is, this is really, you know, if I title this kind of, you know, the, this, the study that we're going to do in chapter 9, is really changed by Christ. That's kind of like really the emphasis of what we see. We're going to get the details about what happens to this person named Saul. Um, so far, the only thing we know about Saul is that he was there when... This uh, man, Stephen, was killed. He was the first martyr of the church, Stephen was. 
And Saul was there collecting the coats as people needed to, you know, take their coats off to throw rocks at Stephen and, and murder him in this way. And Saul's right there, just, you know, making sure that he's taking care of their belongings as he approves of what goes on. And then he, he goes and persecutes the church, and that's kind of where we saw Philip flee to Samaria. So I want us to kind of, as we think about this, um, you know, this, and we're going to kind of pause and maybe ask some, some personal questions, you know, again, not, you know, that, that would be reflective is as we talk about how Saul is changed by Christ and kind of look at how he's changed by Christ, it's always good for us to stop and think how we have been changed by Christ. So I want to ask yourselves this question, how different are you today than before the Lord saved you? If you've been a Christian for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, you know, for a lot of your recent history, you've known, you know, that you've, you've, worship Christ, right? You've gone to church on Sundays and you've probably had your ups and downs, but it's been, you know, might be a long time removed since that time. But it's always good to kind of go back and reflect and think like, what was my life like before Christ? And is there a difference? Sometimes year by year, you know, if you do like New Year's resolutions, you're like, what, you know, how much has really changed over the last year, you know, unless new job or moving somewhere or child in the family, like sometimes it's just kind of like days bleed into one another. But there should be, if we look before Christ, B.C. and after Christ, that we should see a marked difference, whether it is, you know, radical transformation in uh, your lifestyle or or radical transformation in your mindset. And there should at least be a radical transformation in what you were thinking, what you were desiring, who you were aiming to please before Christ until this time after Christ. And so we'll maybe kind of pause and reflect on some of these things. You guys can share for your own. I think it's helpful to kind of hear, you know, from, from us and even to kind of verbalize, yeah, this is, this is how my life has changed since Christ. Well, where we start here in the very beginning, in this one chapter, we're going to see like the whole range of things that, you know, that happen, uh, you know, in a believer's lifetime in this one chapter. And it does actually happen over a, a period of time. But uh, a lot of these happen within a short, short succession of a few days. And so in the beginning of chapter 9, we see, But Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So really, the very beginning, we see that Saul's attitude, his heart, you know, is bent on attacking the church. He's attacking Jesus Christ. He is antagonistic to anything that has to do with Jesus. And so, while the gospel was spreading outside Jerusalem, that's again where we see chapter 8. And it's, it's interesting how Luke kind of transitions from one thing to another. We see Stephen preaching, and then Paul, uh, Saul persecuting, and then Philip going and preaching to Samaria, and then now we have back. But meanwhile, all these things are going on. Saul is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples, Right? His purpose, when it says breathing threats and murder, is that one, you know, threats as into their lifestyle and their livelihood, but he also wanted them dead. You know, Stephen was just was arguing with uh, those in the um, Hellenistic synagogue, was uh, defending Christ 
And they, a mob grabbed him and brought him before the council to be tried. And as he was speaking, he accused them of missing the whole point of what God is trying to do. And instead of them pausing and reflecting about maybe this guy Stephen is right, because they said nobody could argue with this guy. He was full of wisdom. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. And instead of saying, hmm, maybe this guy has something that we should listen to, they went the other way and they got angry. They pushed him outside the city gates and they murdered him. And so while, while Stephen was killed, that was what Saul's intent was, was that he's not going to be the only one that's going to go down for following this Jesus. And you've got to pause and you think, you know, again, why? How do we get to this point? How do we get to this point where, you know, people aren't just free to, to worship what they want, right? Are we ever free to really worship what we want? Hmm. <laughs> There's a lot to think about there. Are we really true to, you know, tr- are we truly free to worship what we want? And even in society, are we really truly free to worship what we want? Because we either, one, either come to a theological, you know, uh, point where you say like, do my, you know, am I free to just worship God? Am I, is my heart ever bent towards following God if I don't know Christ? So that's one, one angle of it. But really in a society, you're, what you worship will come into conflict with, what other people worship. That whole bumper sticker about coexisting, while it, it's a great sentiment, you, you know, lives will overlap and desires overlap and who you serve, um, you cannot serve two masters, as Jesus said. And so Saul said, you know, he was breathing threats and murder and he did not want these Christians, to continue to have their influence because the church was spreading, the church was growing, people were bringing people to come be healed, and uh, it was really threatening the power structure and the way of life of those who were still under the Old Testament um, mode of worship. They missed the Messiah, and they wanted to keep it that way, and now they're trying to hold on as best as they can. And it's getting to the point that now... Threatening people, dragging them out of their house, and even killing them is acceptable to justify their religious experience. We see that all over the world, right? I mean, you can go to other countries and you know, still, still read about martyrs, that, you know, people that are, are giving up their lives because you know, of, of this desire to keep uh, control. And so it says that Saul still kind of having this on his mind against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest. You guys remember who the high priest is? So Caiaphas. No, Gamaliel. Uh, we'll, we'll hear about him again. He was kind of, uh, he, was, he was a very influential leader in the church, or in the Sanhedrin, sorry, not the church, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. Uh, Caiaphas was the high priest. Annas was his father-in-law, but he probably went to Caiaphas, who was the guy that was in charge. Um, the one that, that you know, had still some authority. He was a figurehead uh, in Jewish leadership. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So um, what do you think these letters were saying? What do you think, what do you think the letters were? What's that? Permission to catch Christians, okay? There's some debate as far as like how much, you know, how, you know, how much jurisdiction would he have had? Um, but I think, you know, again, knowing uh, uh, Roman, uh, the Roman system of government is that essentially you were free to worship until it came into co- conflict with 
um, Roman power structure. So if, you, if your idea of worship came into conflict with uh, Caesar being you know, the all-out ruler over the empire, um, then that was where the problems had. Otherwise, people were kind of free to, to, to do what they wanted. And as long as they kept things, you know, were taking care of internal matters themselves, that's why the Sanhedrin had their own um, police force. Uh, you know, they had their own guard, and that was acceptable for them to have. Um, you know, they were limited on the weapons that they could have, so they wouldn't rise up against uh, uh, the Roman soldiers. But they were able to kind of police themselves, and for, for, you know, for the Romans, they were okay with that. You know, you take care of your own inter- internal structures. If you need to bring it up to a higher, higher uh, order, we'll take care of it, and you probably aren't going to like the results. Um, and so Saul went to him and said, hey, can I go up to Damascus? Now, Damascus is the capital of Syria. It's about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. So it's not close. Um, and uh, wanted to go there in order to uh, get some of the people probably that had fled during his earlier persecution. We don't know other than that why Damascus, um, but it might have been a great place to go to kind of exercise and exert the influence of the fact that, like, you know, here in Jerusalem, Christians aren't tolerated. Let's go up to another very important city where we still have maybe some jurisdiction, some, some ability to influence um, what's going on there and to, to kind of send the same message. Um, there was a, uh, an uprising, I think, in the, around the 60s uh, A.D. that happened where thousands of Jewish um, uh, or thousands of Jews were killed in this uprising in Damascus. So we know that there is a large Jewish population that they're, they're in Damascus, um, which is why you know, he probably went up to kind of spread that message within the synagogues that were there. And so that was his intent, to go up there. And he says, and, and he wanted to say, you know, and so the, the purpose was, if any were found belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the way is following the way of Jesus Christ. And uh, Saul, who would later be known as Paul, um, says in Acts 26, as he's kind of reflecting, he's talking to, to Agrippa, and he's saying, hey, um, you know, this was kind of like what happened to me. He's kind of thinking back on his conversion experience. In Acts 26, verses 9 through 11, He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but then when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He's kind of reflecting again like what his intent was. He, he, he is very clear on the fact that he was against them and he would stop at no cost in order to put them in their place. And as we kind of get to this point, you know, where, where we say like, man, you know, and, and Saul, you know, Paul would say that he was the chief of sinners. Well, we have to stop and reflect, you know, in our own hearts. Were any of you guys against um, or antagonistic to the church. When you think back before Christ, were any of you guys antagonistic to the church? Any of you guys remember that that time? 
And at some point, we either like kind of pushed it off or like, eh, you know, whatever. You know, you can do your thing. I don't know if I'm like antagonistic against it, but some were, you know, openly against Christ. What's that? I wasn't against Christ. What's that? I wasn't against Christ. But you were against the church? Okay. And I did not find any. Okay. Okay. And then when I converted, then I was very much openly against the Catholic Church and very persecuted for it in my own family. Okay. Okay. So that was actually after the fact, right? The, against what the, the church in their mind, the, the, the big C church. Um, and so there's a lot of people, right, that, that again, you know, we live in kind of, you know, a country where, you know, again, we, we want to coexist, where everyone, you know, tries to kind of get along, you do what you do. If you start talking to people about their beliefs, like, and, and you press kind of hard enough, like, or you, you kind of wait for fine answers, you find really like a pushback against, you know, really, you know, you could, you could blanket it as the church, but any attack against the church is really an attack against Christ himself, so maybe as you guys kind of think about that and reflect about that, before Christ, we all were in some form or fashion rebellious against what God wanted to do. Would we have sat there and, and you know, cheered as others were uh, stoned? Probably not. I hope not. <laughs> but there was in some sense where we would have understood as that being an act that would have been okay. Right? If Stephen was was going against, you know, what we think is our way of life. We just want to put an end to that. We want to put an end to the voices that are, you know, speaking against what our what we think is freedom to believe whatever we want to believe. But if it's counter to what God desires, that it's not really worshiping the one true God. And often we just want again put a silence to those voices. And so we move kind of to the next phase is that we that, that Saul sees the light. Verse 3 says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So, what would a light from heaven make Saul do? So he's on his way, all right? Some think he's on horseback because it was a long distance, but you know, others say that he's, he might be traveling by foot because everyone's standing around. Um, not exactly sure, but let's assume that he's walking. Uh, so he's on his way. He's traveling. He's, he's doing it. All of a sudden, he sees a great light. What does that make you do? Stop. Okay. <laughs> Physically, you have to stop. We've all, all, probably all been there where you're driving. You might be coming up over a hill early in the morning, and all of a sudden, you see the sun, and you feel like, am I going to hit somebody right in front of me? Right? So you kind of maybe slow down. Um, which causes the person behind you to hit? No. Um, so, so you slow down because of that, right? And so as he's traveling, all of a sudden this bright light just like overtakes him. And physically, this is something that makes him stop. 
What does it indicate that he falls to the ground? What does it say about this light? Okay. So it's intense and it's direct. Yes, it just, just in a sense it's bright, right? I don't think I've ever had that where I've, drove, you know, I've been driving, saw the sun, even though the sun is very bright, and uh, where I've like collapsed, right, you know, uh, or pulled off <laughs> the side of the road. Um, usually just try to shield your eyes. But for this, it made him not only just stop, but it, it made him drop to the ground. And not only him, but his companions with him. It says that, that, that they went to the, to the ground. And so this light coming up from heaven is intense, and it's direct. And he hears a voice speaking to them. Who's this voice? Jesus. Right? Now, who does, who does he think it is? Does he know who this is? So he, he hears a voice from heaven, but he recognizes, because he uses the term Lord, right? That there's something like somebody that is, has more power over him. Sometimes angels are referred to in this way, um, uh, just, you know, that as a reference, like somebody of title of more importance, but whether it's God, whether it's Lord, who it is, but he asks that question. He says, who are you, Lord? You know, speak, hearing this, speak, right? Why are you persecuting me? And he doesn't stop and say, like, well, I wasn't persecuting you. I mean, at first I think he's saying, wanting to know, well, who is it that's saying that I am persecuting you? And the, and the voice answers and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So what does Jesus want Saul to know? He's persecuting him. What's that? And he's still alive. Yeah. And he's all powerful. I guess there's a lot that's wrapped up into the statement, right? And so as far as Saul's going, he's, he's on his way. Again, what his, is his intent? Persecuting. He might be even rehearsing in his mind. I mean, have you ever had like a drive somewhere that you're like going to talk to somebody about something or you have like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a job interview and you're kind of rehearsing in your mind like what you're going to do and how's it, how it's going to play out. You know, he might be, have been doing all of that, thinking through those things over this journey, and all of a sudden he just stops and says, you're perse- you know, stop this persecution. And your persecution is not against just some of these people who have a different religion. Your persecution is against me directly. That it's a personal attack. That everything that you do is an affront to me. Eye-opening for the fact that, one, he's hearing the voice of God. Two, that he's hearing the voice of Jesus speaking to him, who, right, was dead. And this person who really, just in his mind, was this religious figure that was uh, most people were just misguided about, but is now speaking to him. In Acts 26, as, as kind of Paul was continuing and talking about how he's breathing threats, he says... Um, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language. Like he reveals a little bit more that this, this was spoken in, in Hebrew, right? And so it would have gotten his attention a little bit more speaking in the language of the Jews. It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What does that mean, to kick against the goads? What is a goad? <laughs> the prickly thing on the oxen thing? Yeah. <laughs> so when you have like a team of oxen, they want to kick back because they don't want to do the work. 
Okay, good, good. Yeah, so it's, it's basically, a, yeah, like a spike that, that keeps them from either veering to the left or the right. Sometimes it's, it's to kept them, keep them, uh, you know, on the right track, but it's also to keep them moving forward. And you think of that same idea as like spurs on a boot, uh, you know, that, that a cowboy could, could kick into a horse to make it go, kind of push it to lead it in order to do that. And so this, the idea is like, why are you kicking against the goads? Is the idea is that, that uh, Saul was going against something that ultimately was against the path that God had desired for all of his people. And, he, and then and he says, I said to him, 15, verse 15 of Acts chapter 26, I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I've appeared for you for this purpose. And so he kind of repeats some of the things that, that uh, we'll see back in, in chapter 9. So how do we know that Saul was not imagining this? Okay. They hear the voice. Exactly. So they hear the same voice, hear what they're saying. And actually, actually, chapter 26, some people say this is a conflict. Uh, they said that he, uh, Saul says that he does not hear them, uh, or they did not hear him. But that word for hearing means to hear and understand. So they didn't understand what this voice was saying, just like those that uh, heard Jesus is, uh, was there for when Jesus baptized, and some people heard, you know, uh, this is my son for whom I'm well pleased, and others just said, ah, it sounds like thunder, um, that they didn't understand the voice, but Saul understood the voice. Now, some would also say uh, that would challenge, and some actually, like, look at this, and um, it's, uh, there's a, there's a um, I don't know, it's kind of maybe like an understanding of, of Scripture, which kind of, you know, makes People look at scripture and really like Paul's mission in a different angle. It's, uh, there's a group called that, that has this kind of belief called the new perspective on Paul. One of the aspects of the new perspective of Paul um, is that Paul really wasn't against, um, like really what Paul had right here was a crisis, uh, like a, a midlife crisis or a personal crisis. Like his issues that he spoke against was not really about against his mission and what he was doing, um, but was the fact that he was feeling guilty for, for murdering other people. And so he didn't really have a conversion experience. Um, again, this kind of gets ways into different waters with as far as like what does it really mean to be saved and to be converted. Um, but some would actually say that what you know, Paul experienced, it really wasn't a conversion. Like he didn't need to be converted. He already believed in God. Um, but that he was just having this, this guilty conscience. And what he had is that he imagined these things to happen. But one way to counter that was the fact that the guys that were with him heard what he was saying and fell to the, their feet as well, or fell to their knees as well, um, because of this intense light. And so it's not something that just Saul is just imagining, that he's having his own internal crisis, but we understand this, is that he is having a one-on-one personal conversation with Jesus Christ. And what did it render him? It says that he became what? He became blind. Blind to the fact that not only just blinded momentarily, and again, when we look at the sun, sometimes you see that, you look away and you see that spot, but our vision kind of regains after a while. He is blinded for a period of time. It almost seems permanent. Um, And it might be permanent until God intervenes. Because for the next few days, he's in this same state. He can't see. His companions regain their sight, or they have their sight. So it's, it's something that is afflicting just Saul, because they're the ones who have to guide him to Damascus. Now, they're still on their way, 
But it's making him pause. It's making him pause not only right at that moment, but he hears a then an audible confirmation of, of specifically like direct revelation from what God is saying to him. And then um, we know that it's go- ongoing, that it's not just for a brief moment. And so it says for the next three days, what did he do? Verse 9. Okay, he neither ate nor drank. Now, uh, for, for, for Saul, um, being a very devout Jew, fasting would not be something uncommon for him to do. Um, but it doesn't necessarily say that he's fasting for a particular purpose, but it might be in the same vein. Uh, why did people fast? What's that? Okay. So to purge something, uh, to, um, okay. So it could be uh, like a... There's the nutritional or the health fast and there's the spiritual fast. And both you're purging your... Just getting closer to God or getting closer to a healthy body, whichever way you want to Okay. So so as far as desires, it's an act of obedience to show that uh, yeah, that you desire to hear God's voice over the voices of other, you know, yes. urges like to eat and to drink, some of those things. So that's usually like a conscious thought of doing. Uh, how, what do people usually respond to when they fasted, usually to an event? Okay, so some sort of trial or difficulty. We see that the people fasted in Nineveh when uh, Jonah came and preached, said, you need to repent, and so they tore their clothes and they fasted. So sometimes it was uh, in mourning or in repentance um, to, to also you know, get there, uh, them in line with what God was doing. And we see exactly that's what, what Paul is doing. What do you think he's doing during this time? So his sight has been removed from him. So all he's got is his, is you know his hearing. But those who have their sight are used to seeing things, right? And when that's taken away, what do you think? What do you think you have a lot of time to do? Okay. So we got meditate, reflect on scripture. We've got what? Woe is me. Did that just happen? What's that? Verse eleven says he was praying. So verse eleven says he was praying. Yeah. So we'll get to that. And so, so all of these things, right, uh, you know, and the, the content of what, what that was about was probably all the things that, like, you know, had been swirling around, right? He was intent on one mission, and then that mission had just been stopped, right? Had just been changed. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch who was just heading back to Africa, Philip, you know, was sent to change his life forever, and so we see here that you know, Saul is kind of brought to a point where he is now visually seeing the light, but also seeing his life in a spiritual light that probably needs to, to have some serious consideration about what he does next. Um, you know, when we think like what was his life up until this point, his life was centered around you know, being a bigwig in the kind of Jewish circle. Right, he was this this young guy who was taught under Gamaliel. He came from a you know background that was, um, uh, I guess, a prestigious background. And you kind of get some more of that when you go through the Book of Acts. That again, he was a he would refer to himself as a Pharisee among Pharisees. And now this this Jesus, who the Pharisees and all Jews are against, is now saying, "You are now on my team." 
And so he's like, what am I doing? And he finishes his at least journey to Damascus, but now has to rethink all of everything that he is doing. And so we kind of maybe can pause for ourselves and stop and think, you know, what, what caused us to see the light? You know, what was it? Now, you guys remember, like, what, what the time was that, like, you, you remember, like, like, the gospel actually, like, made sense to you? Sometimes you heard it, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, right? I was seeking like, God. You were seeking God. In what way were you seeking God? Well, I, was, I was a seeker. You were a seeker? Okay. Did you find God? Well, you know, and we, we kind of talked about that last week where, you know, we said that that... Through our experience, you know, you know, often it's like you might go to church. You know, it's, it's very, it's it's rare. Although it does happen, right? Where you're just handed a gospel tract, you know, and you're like on your way and had no idea. But that happens, right? Or people are converted that way. Or you were like sitting at a bus stop and someone shared the gospel and you had never heard it before. And some people like commit that way. But a lot of you know, a lot of us, especially in our in our culture, like like to sit and think and contemplate. Eh, I mean, I'll go to church, you know. And so God kind of draws us until that time that all of a sudden it makes sense. And why is it that we really need, not, don't seek after God is because maybe God bends our inclinations towards like the event or the time that he's going to, you know, reveal himself. But, um, but all of those times were just times that we're still in darkness, right? Sitting in a pew, listening to a message that we're like, it's just bouncing off us, right? Seeds that are gospel seeds that are thrown at us, but like as Jesus said, birds are snatching it away, and we're like, you know, what's for lunch, right? That's kind of like, um, you know, our our hearts. But then there's that time that all of a sudden, like, yeah, I don't know. For me, I just, I, just, I remember there there are sermons that are preached that you're like, is this guy preaching just to me, right? <laughs> it's like because because there are it's like God knows like this is the this is the time that is speaking just to you. Like, again, think about the Ethiopian eunuch. Like, what's the chance of meeting you on the side of the road who happens to know who this Isaiah 53 is talking about? And I just happen to be reading it, you know, all of that, right? Again, we know that there are no such thing as coincidences. And last week was just a perfect example of that. And this, I mean, you wouldn't say anything about it. It's coincidental about that. It's like, stop, light, Jesus. You know, some of the times we don't have that. Like, I don't know if any of us have had Jesus talking to us. Um, but in a way, we have, right? We have. Through his word, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we're like, whoa, okay, this is becoming a little too personal. This is becoming a little too real. Um, maybe all the things that I thought, like I was worshiping, even maybe I thought I was pleasing God, but I, I wasn't pleasing God as well. Paul would have sincerely thought, I am doing God's work. I am going to Damascus. I am putting a stop to these people who are an affront to all of our Jewish history, right? God, that was God who led our people out of the wilderness. That was God who, you know, was a pillar of, of fire. That was God who opened up the earth and swallowed those who opposed him. I am just doing God's work by putting a stop to these people who are muddling, you know, this thing, making it seem like this Jesus is the Messiah. I'm just putting an end to it. So we can get back to what? And he was doing God's work, right? He was, he was doing God's work, but not in the way that we would see him. Right? Because why? Why would we say that? Because even like a couple weeks ago, he, he spread the church at that time. He spread the church. It would have been our desire had God stepped, Jesus stepped in when he was persecuting 
stop Saul then. Saul. Right. But he let him go. Right. But it gave Saul this reputation to demonstrate his turnaround, actually. Right. Who he became. Right, which is which is you know which is why like a lot of times you know you talk about you know the, the fantasies about well if if uh, I could go back in a time machine and put an end to you know there's the whole scenario about what if you could go back and stop Adolf Hitler you know from from doing all those things but but it is all those things that right that shape what God is doing in history if you put an end to what Saul was doing and even stop Stephen from being murdered who wouldn't have heard the gospel at least at that time the Sumerians would have never heard the gospel. Right? We wouldn't have that account. The Ethiopian eunuch would have never heard the gospel. You know, maybe it would have happened in different ways and, and in different timing. And if, it, if you know, as Jesus said, those who are mine will be mine, um, that uh, my sheep are my sheep. But in this sense, this is how God is working. And so he used Saul to kind of spread the church, to get them to where they needed to be, even to Damascus. Right? I guess in some sense, he's spreading Christianity to Damascus, and then he's going to join them. It's kind of a bizarre way that this is actually going to work out. Um, and so we see that. And so if we kind of pause and think, like, what was our life before Christ and how are we antagonistic to the church? Again, we were. We have to have to come to those terms. And which way are we attacking Jesus? And then what caused us to see the light? Was it through a friend? Was it through a sermon? Was it what, what was it? What was our light experience that kind of maybe like paused and stopped and reflected? And we should all have at least you know, one or, or several experiences as God moves us closer to, uh, you know, who he wants us to be in Christ. Because even after we're saved, we'll have those experiences where we grow into a deeper relationship with Christ, whether it's being freed from certain sin and bondage um, as, he, as he does that and works in our life through sanctification. Well, we're seeing this kind of unfold in Saul's life. And so we move to the next phase into changing your ways, changing your ways. And so, verses 10 through 14, Now, there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So we meet another Ananias. Uh, this Ananias is not the Ananias from earlier who, was actually, who actually died. This is another Ananias who's in Damascus and he's given a vision by God that says at the same time, This man named Saul is seeing a vision of you coming in and laying your hands on him. And so uh, Ananias, when he's having this vision, he's praying, and all of a sudden God kind of directs, you know, floods his thoughts and helps him see what it is that he needs to do. Um, How much detail does he give uh, Ananias, does the Lord give Ananias to go find Saul? Is it clear? <laughs> yeah, so I want you to go to this street. I want you to go to this house. I want you to find this guy who's from this town. If you're, you know, Saul might have been a popular name. I want you to find this Saul, and he's going to be praying at this time. So there's different times in Scripture where we see, like, clear detail about, you know, something that is, uh, 
that is um, preordained. You know, sometimes it is just like like Phil was told. I want you to go to this desert road and just wait there and uh, you know see what happens. Um, but here, you know, he's given specific detail um, to do that. Now, Ananias, when he hears this, he's like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" <laughs> Which is also pretty interesting that he's like now arguing with you know this 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 vision. Uh, that he's been seeing like lord are you sure this is you know sometimes we do that right we wrestle like you know i want you to go talk to that person you're like lord are you sure you want me to go talk to that person you're like yeah you go talk to that person are you sure about that you know so we sometimes have that that inner dialogue you know which which you know i would imagine that this vision is a little more vivid but uh but we do get the impressions from the holy spirit at certain times to go to go do things or speak to things right you know to to prick our conscience to uh to say things or do things that that uh, God wants us to do, um, and he says that you know yeah this guy's been expecting him, but what's Ananias's hesitation? He knows his reputation. He knows his reputation. And what what's this guy's reputation? Right. Who Ananias <laughs> would have been one of those targets, right? Um, you know, I don't know if it was on that list, you know, in the letters it said these people, right? Um, but Ananias would have been like, he is coming to me, you know, to come to, whether it's for me personally or my family or my friends, like he's coming to get us, this guy. And you want me to go like meet with this guy, uh, while he's praying, right? To just interrupt him while he's praying is, you know, and typically, you know, again, he wants Ananias to be bold, but he's giving some some pretty clear direction, and so that he is the Ananias though is is being obedient to what God is saying. So, um, when you were saved, did others have a hard time with it? They should have. They should have. <laughs> should have. Yeah, they did. You know, s- some. Yes, yeah, some. Right. Some, it might be your family have been praying for you for a while, and for them, it was a time of rejoicing. But if your family had been praying for you, you probably had relationships with friends that, you know, <laughs> that your parents were, probably weren't too pleased with. And I can imagine, you know, I know for even myself, like a lot of the relationships that I had, you know, I, I tried to keep, but eventually it just, you know... Um, there, you know, those relationships had to be had to be severed because people just didn't understand, right? Well, you were like this, but now, you know, you're religious, or now you just talk about Jesus, or now you don't do some of the things that that we used to do, and we used to do a lot of those things. And so, so when you're saved, you know, did others have a hard time with them? I mean, Ananias is like this guy, right? This guy's reputation. And that's usually what the thing is, is like, well, you used to have this reputation as this person, and now you're acting like this, and I feel like I don't know you anymore. It's kind of on the opposite angle to think about this. But he is, you know, you know, Saul has, has, been, has been changed, and we don't see it quite outwardly yet, but we know inwardly something is going on with this, and God is directing Ananias to go and to speak to him. All right, we'll finish up with this, these last two verses. Verses 15 through 16. Well, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he, ha- he must suffer for the sake 
of my name. This idea of a chosen instrument, it's kind of the idea of like a particular tool. I mean, you may even have like a, a thought of like a medical instrument where I'm going to choose this specific thing for this specific task. And Saul was so specifically chosen for the task that God had in mind. And we're going to see how he is the perfect person in so many different scenarios that he gets into because of either his background or because of his knowledge or his abilities um, that God has chosen him for this specific thing that he wants them to do. Sometimes we need to pause and think, are we chosen instruments, right? You know, God has chosen us for our particular purpose, our particular position, for whatever reason. And uh, what was Saul's mission? He says, I've chosen him for this task, and it was to do what? Okay, so the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, the Jews as well. And that's, that's primarily like his order of focus, although sometimes it, uh, we'll, we'll talk about how, how Saul actually carries out his mission a little bit later. And so that's what I have, I have chosen him for and chosen him to do. That's ironic because... Saul, of all people, would have probably had in his mind, as, as much as he hated Christians, he probably hated Gentiles even worse. And that is his main purpose and main focus of how he's going to spread the gospel. We don't know how it's going to play out, I and mean, we do if we've read Acts, but at this point, we don't know what that looks like or how it's going to happen. It's kind of amazing to see unfold. What else must he do? Suffer, Suffer right? You know, it's not going to be easy. So that's the other thing. It's not only he's going to carry my name, to the Gentiles and kings and to the Jews, the children of Israel, but he's also going to suffer as well. It's not going to be easy. And we know, looking at the life of, of Paul, that his, it wasn't easy. So, final question, is Saul's mission any different than ours? And how so? What's that? No different. No different. Okay. We may not be going before kings. All right. I don't know how many kings we could actually... How many kings are left in this world? Um, but, but there are those that are in power, right? Those that are different cultures, those that are different backgrounds that maybe, you know, we have a unique standing before that we can, you know, have, have interaction with. And then the same thing is that, you know, whereas Jesus said he will suffer for my name's sake, the suffering that we have marked out for us uh, may be less so than what Jesus, but there's nowhere in the gospel, nowhere in the scriptures that says, that we will avoid any type of suffering. In fact, Jesus said, you know, um, blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake um, because he was persecuted and we would be persecuted as well. And again, he says, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you. Yeah. And, we, you know, again, we've seen that because people don't understand, you know, at some point what, you, what we believe if the Lord has transformed our lives, and again, as we kind of think back, as we look at, at Saul's life, how he's transforming him, we haven't even actually seen anything that Saul has done yet, um, but we'll see that next time, um, that if the Lord has transformed our lives, that people are going to ask questions, um, and people are going to uh, wonder. We should look back and think, how has God changed us from before we knew Christ, what was our heart bent towards? How has He changed us? What were those events that God put in our lives to help us see the light? 
and to help us come to Him? Who were, what were the things that, that challenged us along the way? And you know, where, what is our mission even to today? So again, we'll continue this uh, as we pick up next week. Uh, it was a good stopping point um, as Ananias has given his mission to go uh, lay his hands on Saul and to bring him into the family of God.